0: SECTION 5 OF THE HISTORY OF MINNESOTA AND THE TALES OF THE FRONTIER PART 2 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Siamy Akhtan THE HISTORY OF MINNESOTA AND THE TALES OF THE FRONTIER PART 2 BY CHARLES E. Flandrau. Section Five. Indian Strategy. In the summer of 1856, I had the celebrated battery commanded by Major T. W. Sherman of the United States Army, better known as the Bona Vista Battery from the good work it did in the Mexican War, on duty in the Indian country on account of a great excitement which prevailed among the indians the officers of the battery were major sherman first lieutenant air and second lieutenant de barry his force of man was about sixty including non-commissioned officers i think it had four guns but of this i'm not certain One day, after skirmishing about over considerable country, we made a camp on the Yellow Medicine River, near a fine spring, and everything seemed comfortable. The formation of the camp was a square, with the guns and tents inside, and a sort of a picket line on all sides about a hundred yards from the center, on which the sentinels marched day and night. Attended with the major and saying that the Indians were allowed to come inside of the picket lines with their guns in their hands. I took the liberty of saying to him that I did not consider such a policy safe because the Indians could, at a concerted signal, each pick out his man and shoot him down, and then where would the battery be? But the major's answer was oh, we must not show any timidity. So I said, no more. But it was just such misplaced confidence that afterwards cost General Canby his life among the Modocs, when he was shot down by Captain Jack. Things went on quietly until one day a young soldier went down to the spring with his bucket and dipper for water and an Indian who desired to make a name for himself among the among his fellows, followed him stealthily, and when he was in a stooping posture, filling his bucket, came up behind him and plunged a long knife into his neck, intending, of course, to kill him. But as luck would have it, the knife struck his collarbone and doubled up so the Indian could not withdraw it. The shock nearly prostrated the soldier, but he succeeded in reaching camp. The Major immediately demanded the surrender of the guilty party, and he was given up by the Indians. I noticed one thing, however, no more Indians were allowed inside the lines with their guns in their hands. When the prisoner was brought into camp, a guard tent was established, and he was confined in it with ten men to stand guard over him these men were each armed with the mini-rifle which was first introduced into the army and which was quite an effective weapon while all this was going on we were holding pow-pows every day with the indians endeavoring to straighten out and clear up all the vax questions between us the manner of holding a council was to select a place on the prairie, plant an American flag in the center, and all hands squat down on a circle around it. Then the speechifying would commence, and last for hours without any satisfactory results. Anyone who has had much experience in Indian councils is aware of the hopelessness of arriving at a termination of the discussion it very much resembles turkish diplomacy but the weather was pleasant and everybody was patient the indians however were concocting plans all this time to effect the escape of the prisoner in the guard-house so one day they suggested a certain place for the holding of the council giving some plausible reason for the change of location and when the time arrived everybody assembled and a ring was formed. Those present consisted of all the traders, Superintendent Collin, Major Sherman, Lieutenant Air, in fact, all the white men at the agency, about one hundred Indians, every one of whom had a gun in his hands. I had warned the Major frequently not to allow an Indian to come into council with a gun but he deemed it better not to show any timidity and they were not prohibited the council on this occasion was held about four hundred yards from the battery camp and on a lower ground but with no obstruction between them the scheme of the savages was to spring to their feet on a concerted signal and begin firing their guns all around the council circle, so as to create a great excitement and bring everyone to his feet. And just at this moment, the prisoner in the guardhouse was to make a run in the direction of the council, keeping exactly between the guard and the whites in the council ring, believing that the soldiers would not fire for the fear of killing their own people. When the time arrived, every Indian in the ring jumped to his feet and fired in the air, creating a tremendous fusillade. And as had been expected, the most frightful panic followed. And everyone thinking that a general massacre of the whites had begun, they scattered in all directions. Instantly, the present prisoner ran for the crowd, and an Indian can sprint like a deer contrary to expectations every one of the ten guards opened fire on him and seven of them hit him but curiously not one of the wounds stopped his progress and he got away but the bullets went over and among the whites one ricocheting through the coat of major collin the prisoner never was caught but i heard a great deal about him afterwards his exploit of stabbing a soldier and his almost miraculous escape made him one of the most celebrated medicine men of his band, and he continued to work wonders thenceforth. After the return of the battery, I was informed by my close friends among the Indians that they had sat on the hills overlooking the camp and concocted all kinds of schemes to take it the principal one of which was to fill bladders with water and pour them over the touch holes of the guns and as they supposed rendered them useless and then open fire on the man fortunately nothing of this kind was tried but i was convinced that no one can be too cautious when in the country of a savage enemy a good lesson can be learned from this narrative by the people now occupying the country of the Filipinos. One pleasing circumstance resulted from the presence of this battery in the Indian country. About 30 years after the occurrences I've been narrating, I had occasion to transact some business with the adjutant general of our state at his office in the capital and after completing it, I was about to retire. When the general said to me, Judge, you don't seem to remember me, I replied. General, did I ever have the pleasure of your acquaintance? Not exactly, he said, but don't you remember the time when you had the old Sherman battery in the field with its tall first sergeant? I said, I recall the event quite clearly, but not the sergeant. He said, one day after a long hot march, I was laying out the camp and you were sitting on your horse observing the operation when you noticed me and called me to you and pulling a flask from your pocket or holster, you asked me to take a drink. That is a long time ago, but I remember it as the best drink I ever had and I always associate you pleasantly with it told sergeant had matured into most dignified and charming gentleman with whom i have ever since enjoyed the most agreeable relations the moral of the story is that when you are in a country of hostile savages never accept any confidences or take any chances and when you have more drinks than you can conveniently observe divide with your neighbor and those section five.